today on DNA Pakistan Innovation Hub series. London tech, London startup seems racing ahead and I wondered whether or not London had lost its shine. Well, and I think one of the things that's happened through this, which is very encouraging, is I think we've seen a lot of uh, public sector and private sector collaboration. There have been meetings, there have been discussions. Um, I've been involved with numerous discussions with various government departments. Hello and welcome to episode four of our TLA Innovation Hub series. I'm Mahid Afzal and chair of TLA Pakistan. And we're having some deep dive conversations with some really inspirational leaders and tech experts from across the world. Um, call them thought leaders, innovators, or simply transformational leaders. I hope you'll find some of them here. So today, I, I'd like to really introduce you to a very special guest, Rush Shaw. He's probably one of the best known names within the tech environment, uh, within London and globally. In fact, he is the founder of Tech London Advocates and Global Tech Advocates. He's also the founding partner of London Tech Week, uh, and that brings together over 58,000 delegates every year from around the world. He's also the tech ambassador to London Mayor uh, of London. He sits on various boards, um, but most of all for me, he is the inspiration behind me setting up and founding uh, TLA Pakistan. So welcome Russ, how are you? Fine, Ahid. I'm um, doing well. How are you doing? Nice very, to see you. Very well, very well. I know you're normally globetrotting across the tech hubs. Um, lockdown must have been quite difficult for you. Yeah, it, it has been a bit strange, I have to say. I, I do miss seeing people in person, whether it's here in London or somewhere around the world. Um, but also, oddly enough, I feel like I have been seeing virtually a lot of people that I don't normally see because we're all jumping on Zoom calls and uh, having, having virtual meets this way. So hopefully this won't be forever. Um, it's part of our new normal, but so far so good. Great. Now, I think we're busier than we've ever been before. Uh, certainly, I have less time to my hands. So, um, well, I've known Russ for a number of years now, and I know about the wonderful work that he's been doing, building this interconnected tech ecosystem or this network and, and community across the globe. But I know one of the things that's really important to Russ is the, the spirit of openness, of collaboration and inclusion. And you know, I, I love hearing stories from people of how they got to, to where they are. So Russ, I'm wondering whether you can share some insights or, or share with us your journey in terms of how you got to be one of the most influential and respected people in UK tech. Oh, thank you, Nahi. That's a very kind of you to say. I think, um, you know, a lot of my career has been spent working in organizations that are focused on technology and telecom. Uh, both large corporate environments and also startup environments. So I've been exposed to it from a day-to-day -day perspective. Um, but my last role was um, at corporate role was at Skype until we were acquired by Microsoft. And I was in a fortunate enough position where I didn't need to do a full-time corporate role thereafter. Uh, but I wanted to do something that made a difference and I wanted to do something that, that gave back to the tech sector, which had been very good to me over the years. And if I go back to 2012, um, I'd been out of Skype for about a year. I had been invited to become part of something called the Tech City Advisory Group. This was kind of a, a roundtable of leaders organized by um, 
uh, an advisor to Prime Minister David Cameron at the time to help inform them about what's going on in, in London's emerging tech ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I also at the time briefly met our mayor, that, who was our mayor at the time, Boris Johnson, who obviously now is our prime minister, and he was out there promoting London's emerging tech ecosystem. And I thought, great that both government and our city hall are promoting London tech. What was missing for me was a, a diverse group of leaders from the private sector who would be getting behind the startups and scale-ups, supporting the founders, connecting them to investors. Um, so that's where the idea for Tech London Advocates came from. But I also wanted to make sure that the group was open, it was inclusive, that anybody could come into the community, that it was free, because I knew many startups wouldn't be able to afford it. So I also had to come up with a business model that would make it uh, sustainable. So. Since that time, the London Group now has over 9,000 advocates in London across the UK. And there are Tech London advocates in over 50 countries around the world. So that was the start of this journey. Then that eventually led to, to global tech advocates. So we're setting up these groups in, in many places around the world now. That's incredible. Um, did you have any idea that it would mushroom in the way that it has done? I, I, I really had no idea. I, I started this as a as a part-time project and today I probably spend about 95% so it had but I, I think I had I had a clue back in April 2013 um, we launched a group at a venue called Central Working which is in Shoreditch right next to Google campus and uh, we lined up some really good speakers and about 50 to 60 people said that they would come and the mm -hmm. space would just about accommodate that but on the day that we launched, something like 90 people showed up and we had people standing in corridors and hallways. I couldn't even see everybody. And I thought, this is really striking a chord with a lot of people from the community. And, and from that day onwards, um, you know, I never imagined this to grow the way it has. Um, I didn't envision that we would be setting up working groups like the TLA Pakistan group. That wasn't part of the original plan. But right after that launch event, uh, advocates came to me and said, Russ, you know, we want to start doing more things. We want to set up these interesting groups. And so that's what we started doing. We set up an immigration group, an education group, a women in tech group. And today we have in the London group, we have over 50 working groups, including the TLA Pakistan group, which is also a, a very successful group within the Tech London Advocates community. So thank you for the great work that you do. Oh, thank you very much, Russ. Um, uh, all led by you, I have to say. Um, now, you've, you've got quite a, a unique perspective, haven't you, on the international tech landscape, whether it's China, Singapore, the Nordics, or even the Bay region. And, and you've seen the way in which the pandemic has really sort of rippled across the world. What sort of global patterns have you seen? What, what will start? What will start? Uh, what will accelerate, do you think? Yes, I mean, for, well, for me, what was interesting was uh, we have two groups in China, a Shanghai group and a Shenzhen group, and they were clearly the first nation to go through this. And I, I certainly got some messages back in early January that they were going into lockdown, that, you know, things were stopping there. And then we also have a Tech Italy Advocates group, and the, the co-leads of that group are based in Milan. And kind of end of January, early February, I was getting messages for that from them saying, this is really big, it's very strange. And, and, and that has now rippled through. 
I was in the Bay Area in San Francisco and literally left a few days before they went into lockdown. So I've watched how this pandemic has spread globally through our advocates group. Um, for the London group, um, at the end of March, we launched our COVID-19 resource hub. So about a week or so into lockdown here, um, working with our, our agency, Seven Hills, um, we created the COVID-19 resource hub and literally from idea to actual implementation was about a week. And we said we need to pivot the community to reach out and support startups and scale-ups to get experts to come in and talk about what they need to be doing um, to provide help, advice, and resources. And, um, and here we are today, we've got over 60 advocates listed on our directory who are giving free help and advice. We've done many podcasts, many Zoom calls on all kinds of themes and topics. Um, I've been really pleased since the launch of this re resource hub, the web traffic to Tech London Advocates .org.uk has increased fivefold. It was fourfold until last week and now it's taken another jump. So to me, this is saying that the community is really using us as a resource, trying to connect with people who can help them. And then other groups like Tech Nordic Advocates, they've launched their COVID-19 resource hub based upon the model that we set out in the London group. So I'm seeing a lot of you know, help, support, advice, I'm hearing from a grassroots organization some really difficult stories about people who are struggling, running out of cash, can't get funding from their investors. But I'm also starting to see kind of the landscape of where this is going to be post-pandemic. Um, through Global Tech Advocates, we're doing a project with our sponsor, HP, where we're talking to IT leaders in the UK, across Europe, in the US and Canada, um, in China to get their views on what, how has the pandemic impacted their business, but more critically, how are they thinking about their post-pandemic work environment and their post-pandemic IT environment to support that. And Nahid, the discussions are absolutely fascinating. You know, everybody's starting from a different point. We're speaking to people in healthcare, education, retail, manufacturing, financial services, really, really interesting glimpse from a grassroots perspective, what's going on that will help guide us as we leave the, hopefully leave the pandemic behind one day. I guess it really brings home the whole, you know, the, the, the mission and the vision that you had uh, in, in bringing people together. I mean, it's been quite incredible the way communities have shifted, how people are helping each other. Um, and you mentioned the resource hub, which I'm glad you, you spoke about because I was going to ask you about it. You know, first-hand experience in terms of people reaching out, helping each other. In, in terms of, um, obviously, the pandemic impacting startups um, uh, and organizations, you know, we've seen some really interesting, innovative ways in which startups have adjusted to the pandemic, you know, from selling ventilators or pop-up restaurants, We've got posh meals on wheels. You know, I was reading an article yesterday about one um, gourmet Michelin uh, restaurant um, who had a customer that's basically uh, has orders every single day of 2,000 pounds, and that's for one meal. And I thought, wow, well, you know, if, if you could do it, great, but what a fantastic pivot. There's also the, the pivots around emerging and re-emerging technology, whether it's VR events or AR, you know, the really creative ways in which 
organizations are really changing their business models to be able to have that um, creative engagement with their with their customers. What sort of interesting pivots have you seen, or unusual pivots? Well, I think I mean first and foremost, I've seen many of many startups um, alter their business model, and several of them have offered their services and products for free, so that people can try them and experience them, but also do it in an environment where there is a lot of financial pain. So, you know, the best way to kind of get used to working uh, with a service or experiencing a product is by having it for free. So I've seen many startups do that. Um, I've seen certain sectors within tech really thrive. I think our health tech sector is, is thriving. Um, our prime minister, Boris Johnson, back in March, had a what, what he called the digital, digital Dunkirk meeting um, and he had health tech businesses at the table companies like benevolent A AI which is using data to help evaluate vaccines and and Babylon Health which has now just launched uh, uh, um, you know a test that you can you can get to detect if you've had the virus um, I've seen a flurry of ed tech businesses I mean ed tech is just taking off as there's so much remote learning going on. Um, some of it good, some of it not so good, but a lot of businesses there really trying to embrace this new, new world of how we operate. Fintech businesses. Um, I had heard a statistic back in March that cash usage in the UK is down by 50%. That means that digital plat payment platforms are, are thriving. So many businesses have had to scramble to build capacity, to build infrastructure. Um, we, we, we were speaking to a PPE manufacturer in California recently, and their demand quadrupled overnight. Um, and yet they had to have a lot of people working remotely. So, you know, a lot of businesses have pivoted. Um, a lot of them have had to move very, very quickly. Um, stories of uh, fintech businesses where one day everybody was working from the office, the next day they were all working remotely and it worked and it worked successfully. So I think people are looking at this situation as not only difficult and challenging, but also as a good opportunity. And I, I expect us to see a huge surge in innovation that's gonna come out of this period of time. Um, you know, many of us in the London tech community talk about our tech ecosystem here emerging from the ashes of the financial recession of 2008, 2009, you know, kind of FinTech was leading the way. And I think we're gonna see an enormous amount of innovation come out of this lockdown period, probably led by health tech businesses and ed tech businesses, but I think cyber businesses and AI businesses are going to do incredibly well. We had a great TLA retail tech a couple of weeks ago. You know, retail is really trying to come to grips with the fact that there's no traffic on the high street. So mm -hmm. how do they survive and sustain themselves in this current environment? So, you know, as difficult and as challenging as the current environment is, and it is painful for many, we cannot forget that. There is going to be a, a renaissance, I think, and a resurgence coming out of this. And I said recently to a journalist that I think London and the UK are gonna be very well positioned in terms of its technology sector coming out of this very strange period of time. That's really encouraging to hear um, because obviously um, 
it, you know, there's no doubt about it. London tech, London startup scene was racing ahead and, and you wondered whether or not London had lost its shine. Well, and I think one of the things that's happened through this, which is very encouraging, is I think we've seen a lot of uh, public sector and private sector collaboration. There have been meetings, there have been discussions. Um, I've been involved with numerous discussions with various government departments from Treasury to uh, Business Energy and Industrial Strategy to the Department for International Trade to, to, to even to advisors at number 10. Very much wanting to hear from us, what are we seeing? What are we experiencing? What ideas do we have to help them to create interesting policies, one of which our Chancellor of the Exchequer announced recently, which is called the Future Fund, which just opened this week. And this is a fund um, supported by the government, but co-matching with the private sector community to, to really make sure that there is money available for startups. Um, I think that's a great, great signal about how these two sectors are coming together to really make sure that as we come out this we're going to be successful. I don't necessarily see that in other countries around the world um, so I am encouraged that that the UK is starting to position itself very well in the future from a technology. It's great to see this um, public and private sector mm. sort of coming up um, and you mentioned the, the future fund I, I guess there have been mixed views about the, the, the future fund you know one size fits all um, in terms of the Chancellor's response, it'd be great to understand whether or not you feel it's gone far enough. Um, is it really just going to be a matter of, you know, survival of the fittest and, um, you know, that's, that's the, the correct way to go ahead? Yes, I think, well, first on, on the Future Fund, um, I think he, he listened and listened well. Um, I think we'll see maybe modifications down the line. So, for example, I think um, angel investors um, felt that it really didn't embrace that part of the investing landscape, nor did it look at the whole enterprise investment scheme aspect of investing. Um, and I hope that that gets considered and we're still pushing to, to have EIS rules and venture capital trust rules amended because there's a lot of money still sitting out there that can be invested. That said, I think with everything that's going on in the, in the British economy, um, in this lockdown period. I think he moved very quickly. I think he was very wise to have co-matching from private investors, matching one-to-one -one with the government. I think that was a positive um, step. And actually, I was just speaking to somebody from the British Business Bank uh, earlier today. Their target is to, from start to finish, to process the application and get the funds out there in 21 days, which I think is, a, is pretty good. Um, I also have been saying we need to expedite how R&D tax credits are paid. So, you know, for me, the chancellor gets high marks. Could more be done? Yes, of course, more can be done. The door has been left open to do that. So that's one piece. In terms of survival of the fittest, um, I think there are a number of things that have been done, like the Future Fund, like the grant pool for Innovate UK. They received I think over half a billion pounds of funding for Innovate UK grants. That's a really positive step as well. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to prop up startups that weren't going to make it anyway. 
Um, and I, I, I use a term, somebody shared a term with me called zombie startups. You know, we want to make sure that many startups succeed or get through this period and can succeed and thrive. But we don't want to make sure that nobody fails through this because in the real world during normal times, many startups don't survive. And it's unfair to those startups that have good, robust business models that are deserving of funding, whether it's from the future fund or from the private sector, um, to uh, make sure that they get the funding and not have to compete against businesses that may not necessarily deserve that funding. So there is a degree of survival of the fittest going on out there. Um, I think those startups that get through this period are going to emerge much stronger and will be able to compete globally in a much more dynamic way. But we have to realize a lot of businesses are not going to make it. And, and that's sad, but you know, hopefully the people in those businesses can rethink their business models, pivot, create something new and try again, because there's a lot of resiliency with entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, I, I guess it's always difficult to please everyone. And, and I, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, you, you mentioned the investor community. Um, what about their behavior? How has that changed over this time? And, and I guess it, in some ways, from, from, from a startup perspective, how can startups position themselves so they remain attractive to that investor community? Um, what, what are the sorts of things that they've been doing for survival? And, um, yes, so, so the immediate behavior that we've seen from investors and the venture community is many of them, as soon as we went into this lockdown period, immediately met with their, the companies in their portfolios. Um, to understand where was each company in the portfolio, how were they doing, and the message probably to most, if not all of them, was preserve cash, cut your expenses as much as you can until we get clarity around where we're going and what the period is. Now, there's probably a number of those businesses that were high growth businesses and still are high growth businesses where it might feel a bit like business as usual. But for many, investors were coming in saying, you know, hang tight, you know, we may continue to invest in you, but you need to assess where you are, manage your cash flow very, very closely and very, very tightly um, in this period of time. And I think we have seen um, investments still happen during this period. So a report came out from Plexel and Bohost a couple of weeks ago that said since lockdown through, I think it was the end of April, 700 million pounds went into tech businesses in London and across the UK. So money was still flowing in, which is an encouraging sign. So I think investors, are, that was kind of their first remark. The second was to evaluate those businesses in this new normal. How do you get through the pandemic? How do you pivot in terms of your products and services to ensure that you can survive during this period of time? So there are a lot of discussions underway at the moment trying to help businesses you know, between the, the, the team that's managing those businesses and the investors to make sure that they've got a pathway forward through what could be several months of, of uncertainty. So um, there's been a lot of those discussions happening behind the scenes, in addition to talking to government about things like the future funds. So again, a lot of collaboration, a lot of engagement across the investor community. Um, and, you know, they're, they're working pretty hard now as well. Yeah, and of course, um, um, Tech London Advocates was um, a co-founder of the Save Our Startup campaign, which I, I guess then sort of um, translated into the Future Fund. So 
um, again, um, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes by, by you and your team. In terms of really, um, you know, behaviour, we've been catapulted ahead by about five years when you think about uh, customer behaviour and digital adoption. Um, do, do you think those uh, learned behaviours are going to stick? Um, and I guess in terms of founders now, new and for the future, what are the things that you think um, they should be thinking about uh, in terms of viability and longevity of their uh, startups? Yes, I, I think in terms of the, the first point, we're not going back to the way we were before we went into lockdown. I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I think many, many more people will be working remotely. Um, and, and what does that mean? Well, first and foremost, I say to people, you know, who are not necessarily in the technology sector is to speak to a number of tech businesses because probably of any sector, of most sectors, this is a sector that has, understands how to work remotely. Many of the tech companies I've talked to said, look, if this wasn't a big shift for us because many of our engineers and developers and staff are already working remotely. We're using digital platforms uh, to communicate with each other, whether it's Slack or WhatsApp or Zoom or whatever. So um, I think there's already a community here that understands this way of working. Um, other businesses, you know, I've been on some calls where people were using Zoom for the first time and said, oh, this is great, this is amazing. I think big companies are also reassessing the situation and saying, well, do we need to have everybody come back to the office? Um, I saw uh, an interesting article, I think it was in Bloomberg, that showed can some I, of the... Can I butt in? I have a sure. Zoom fatigue. I need the human touch. I, I need to see people now. <laughs> yes, and, and, and I think that that won't go away. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly for younger people, you know, I talk to a lot of younger people who are waiting for lockdown to get over so they can go back to the office and go to their coffee shop or cafe or meet at the pub after work. That human need is not going to disappear. But I think where we're going to get to is, and you're probably hearing the term hybrid, we're going to have a much greater degree of hybrid working environments where somebody might work one day or two days a week from the office and then the other three days a week from home. Um, and that can vary from, from company to company and office to office. I heard one company in the data space said, their people can now work from home forever. Um, they don't need to come back to the office. Others are saying, well, we do want to have some people come in from time to time. And then this will also be driven to your point by people. I've spoken to some young people who are really eager to get back because they're living in a tiny one room flat and they've been locked up and cooped up for two months and, and they don't like it and they're not seeing their friends. Um, there are families I've spoken to where, spoken to where they've just saved two hours a day commuting. So you're going to have a lot of push from employees and contractors and freelancers saying, this is how I want to work. And you know what? We've all experienced this. So managers and CEOs who are not familiar with this remote working now are because we've all been forced to do it. That's going to have a really um, interesting kind of flow into commercial real estate and how offices are used and how co-working spaces are used. It's going to have an interesting impact on public transport systems. Um, it's going to have an interesting impact on how we travel. Do we need to fly as much? You can just see the waves of this type of impact flowing out from this decision 
vision and this behavior that we have radically changed through this pandemic. Mm. Um, yeah, and hopefully property prices will drop as well as people start moving out of the city, um, which would be great. Yes, um, but they'll increase elsewhere. They'll, you know, probably yeah. in the suburbs, they, they will go up. So, you know, for every one effect over here, it's going to have a corresponding effect in yeah. some other place or direction. But that's, that's part of what's interesting. And to your point about startups, those startups and scale-ups and entrepreneurs who can see those opportunities emerging based upon changing customer behaviors will be the winners in this. Um, and it'll be interesting to see the new companies that get created to capitalize on this way that we've changed. I mean, think about this, Nahid. In our lifetimes, have we ever seen a situation where over a span of three to four months, global demand stopped and everybody was basically told, don't come to the office, except for essential workers, of course, don't come to the office, don't go out, don't use public transport. We've never seen anything like this. This is a really interesting experiment from an economic point of view, a societal point of view, and an environmental point of view. You know, it's nice not seeing planes flying over near my house every 45 seconds because we live close to Heathrow. The skies are bluer. I'm seeing photos from India, from Delhi, where they're saying, you know, it's been gray sludge for years and now they're seeing blue sky for the first time. I don't think people are going to want to go back to that gray sky, you know, type of environment. So this is going to have a fundamental change for all of us. Yeah, let's hope that um, government and private sector team up to be able to help in bringing about a, a bit more of a sustainable world because uh, I think there's opportunities there to, to really rethink about how uh, we have a view society. Let, let's see what happens, but I think there's a lot of hope there. Um, now, you know that um, I, I couldn't help but basically drop in diversity. Diversity, as you know, is, is quite close to my heart. It's it's how I've modelled uh, my And, um, you know, I, I just really wanted to ask you, where do you see diversity fitting post-COVID, in a post-COVID world? Yeah, I, I think it becomes more critical than ever. And actually, we, we need to be dress, addressing diversity and inclusion now as we're in the COVID pandemic. Coming back to the Future Fund, um, a lot of voices, including my own, were, were out there saying, look, great that we have this future fund, but let's not replicate having the white males running many of these businesses or the white male investors behind these businesses succeeding when there are women, people from the black and minority ethnic communities and other diverse communities who you know, will be left behind even more so. So we have to put the diversity and inclusion agenda front and center now, not just after, after the pandemic, it's too late. So we have to be supporting more of these businesses. And, and you know, the encouraging thing for me is certainly government has been listening to that, that theme from, from many of us, and we need to make sure that that continues to be heard. We know that diverse businesses, um, diverse management teams, diverse boards are the most successful ones out there. So now is a great time to hit very hard on that agenda and make sure that that is top of mind for many of these businesses who are looking to recruit, especially as we come out of the pandemic and have a significant economic recovery, let's make sure that we're building diverse and inclusive organizations. This is a golden opportunity to do that.
Yeah, no, I certainly agree with you. Now, I know we haven't got a huge amount of time left, but I just have um, really one more thing to, to sort of say or, or ask you about. I know we were on the leaders um, uh, Zoom meeting yesterday with, with, with yourself and with Shirley Kutu, who's also another incredible name within uh, London Tech. Um, and she was discussing a new initiative um, that, that she's um, promoting for SMEs and charities. Now, I don't know whether or not we can talk about this, or have I just put in it? <laughs> yes, no, let, let's do that. It, it, it launches on the 27th of May. Um, so um, we, we'll probably need to announce that or announce this then, but I think she would be delighted to do that. Um, it's called Digital Boost, um, and it is an initiative to get people from the digital and tech community to help small and medium-sized businesses to go through a, some type of digital transformation process. I mean, I've heard a statistic here in the UK that something like 80% of our small and medium-sized businesses have no type of digital platform at all, which, you know, when you work in the tech sector, you kind of think, really, how can that be? But there are many businesses that don't do that and have been suddenly forced into this world of everybody working remotely, communicating online. And so I think Digital Boost is a great initiative, which is led by Sherry, but also BCG Digital Ventures to really bring together leaders from across the UK to offer help and advice to small businesses and medium-sized businesses to help them to adapt to this new digital world. And again, you know, talk about taking a crisis and doing something constructive with it. I think Digital Boost is a great example of that. And so Tech London Advocates is getting fully behind it, as is Tech North Advocates, Tech Scotland Advocates, and Tech Belfast Advocates. So we are getting behind it, and I hope the TLA Pakistan group and many of the other TLA working groups get behind this initiative. It's a really, really important one. Yeah, it, it's lovely the way they put everything together in such a holistic fashion that I don't think there's anything as user-friendly as what that sounds. And it's, it's just phenomenal. Um, I, I'm sure it's going to do really, really well. Now, um, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Um, I could go on for ages and ages with Russ, um, but we're going to have to come to the end of our deep dive with Russ. Russ, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I've really enjoyed our fireside chat in isolation. Hopefully next time it will be in person um, and, and hopefully you can join us again on the, the TLA Pakistan Innovation Hub. Um, and for everyone listening out there, thank you for chiming in and joining in. Um, there are links below which you will see to our webinars, to YouTube, to Spotify. If you want to reach out to me or support us in any way, please do feel free to uh, reach out to me. Again, the details are below. So until the next episode, and I'm going to give you a peak preview. It's actually going to be a European, no, it's going to be an international BC panel. So we're going to have BCs from Pakistan, uh, from the MENO region and also from Europe joining us for a really interesting discussion. So until our next episode, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be signing out. Russ, I'm going to let you have the last word. Well, Nahid, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for your leadership of TLA Pakistan um, from a, a, a fantastic launch event just over, was it just over a year ago at the House of Commons? You've built a great community and a great network. And I think what you're doing really embodies the entrepreneurial spirit 
that, that we love to see across these communities. So keep going on the great work that you're doing. Wonderful to have you as part of this network and community. And um, thank you for allowing me to, to, to speak with you now and to, and, and to share some messages about the work that we're, we're doing collaboratively. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in.